Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. So there's four species of Asian carp when we say that term. There's more species of carp that are from Asia, but Asian carp refer to four species. That's being the big head carp and the silver carp, which are the focus of my study. And then there's two other uh, species, the grass carp and black carp. So big head and silver carp, um, again, the focus of our study, they were brought over in uh, the 60s to, uh, from East Asia where they're native and were to, to be used as a control for um, algae blooms in uh, catfish ponds and sewage treatment lagoons. They were able to invade the Mississippi River Basin when uh, there was floods that allowed them to enter the river and then have since spread northward um, as far as parts of the upper Mississippi or nearing parts of the upper Mississippi near uh, Wisconsin and Minnesota. The majority of the population though seems to be below uh, the intersection of the Illinois River and Mississippi River Basin. We focused on evaluating suitable habitat in Lake Michigan for two highly invasive species of Asian carp, um, being the big head and the silver carp. Uh, these species are in the Illinois River right now where they've established prolific densities and have had detrimental impacts. And there's concern about them if they reach Lake Michigan and the other Great Lakes, the effects that they could have on the recreational fishery and the food web at large. Concerns about this though has been uh, kind of also met with skepticism regarding the ability of these fish to survive in a lake that doesn't have a lot of their primary food source, which is plankton, um, as well as the lake is much colder than other uh, environments where these fish exist. So we used a model then to evaluate food resources throughout the lake, um, given the temperatures in the lake, to see where there is enough food to support the growth of these fishes, and we kind of use that as a proxy for understanding, well, where could these fish survive and when can they survive? We have a three-dimensional model of Lake Michigan that is simulating how the current action, all the hydrodynamics, as well as some what we call lower food web processes, which is the cycling of certain plankton and organic material. Um, it doesn't include fish, just the lower food web, which we, again, is plankton. So we're, we have this large three-dimensional environment of Lake Michigan that has the that also simulates processes related to the primary food source of these fish. And then we have a model that we have been um, a model of fish growth for these uh, for the big hen silver carp. So by combining this, by applying the fish growth model to the three-dimensional simulated environment of Lake Michigan, we were able to kind of evaluate where, uh, throughout the entire volume of Lake Michigan, where is food suitable to support growth for these fish. We were able to evaluate the potential of these fish to feed on more types of food than the previous models uh, considered as well as the ability of these fish to feed at different depths. The previous models only evaluated food in that top surface meter of the water. So when you consider the you know, flexible diet of these fish, which not only includes plankton, uh, phytoplankton and zooplankton, but it also can include um, non-living organic material, which we refer to as detritus, um, they can essentially, they're highly adaptive and they can survive in environments that are less productive than um, maybe these nearshore areas. However, they still are probably going to want to go to those nearshore areas that previous papers already identified as suitable. The primary um, way we think that they're going to get in, or that they could get in, um, is through the Chicago area waterway system, which is a man-made canal system that um, connects Lake Michigan to, or the Chicago River, which drains out of Lake Michigan to the Illinois River, where the fish currently exist. Uh, this was part of an Army Corps engineering pro project over like 120 years ago at the turn of the 19th, uh, 20th century. 
not too long ago it was actually proposed that the Illinois River and Lake Michigan be separated as they once were before uh, we dredged the Chicago area waterway system. Um, and that's with the main concern being the transfer of invasive species to and from the Great Lakes. That has proven to be politically unfeasible. Um, so they've looked at other options that they could keep those waterways open while also uh, managing the risk of invasions. The risk of invasion is real. Um, the previous gap in the knowledge was, well, can these, we know these fish are at risk of getting in just based on their proximity to the lake, and we know that they can have detri detrimental impacts based on what we've seen them do in other ecosystems and what our models say they could do in uh, the Great Lakes if they get here. The gap has been, is there enough food for these two species to survive? Lake Michigan has gone through a series, uh, over the past 40 to 50 years, has gone through reductions in the amount of nutrients entering the lake, as well as we've had the invasion of two uh, filter feeding mussels, the zebra mussel and quagga mussel. Uh, so the combined effect of reducing phosphorus that's entering the lake, as well as these two filter feeding mussels, has reduced the amount of food in the lake. So there's reason for skepticism. What our study shows is that these fish are highly resilient and adaptive and could survive in Lake Michigan um, and possibly get to where they want to go, such as Green Bay, if they feed on a variety of different food throughout the water column. So in our model, we, um, we represent this third food type as detritus, which is uh, less nutritious um, food and less preferred food than uh, either the plankton, the phytoplankton being like green algae and zooplankton which are tiny microscopic animals in the water. The way we represent detritus in the lake is as uh, zebra and quagga mussel um, biodeposits, which is essentially mussel poop and other partially indigested, uh, spit up um, organic material that is in the lake. Um, we assume, we chose this to represent detritus A because we've, there's experiments showing that these fish will eat uh, the mussel biodeposits and uh, can actually manage their weight loss if they're feeding on them. This is the most substantial source of non-living organic material in the lake, just based on the sheer abundance of the mussels. Back when we brought over these species and when other, we had a, a, you know, a lot of invasive species entering the lakes or non-native species that have become invasive, a lot of it was not with foresight or not with awareness of an invasive invasion species problem that we have in the Great Lakes now. Now that we've had over 183 uh, non-native species in the Great Lakes, we've kind of realized that this isn't just a species by species problem. We have a problem where a broader invasive species problem and the Asian carp are just the next next concern or one of the next concerns that we're trying to keep out. So this was a collaboration among several institutions and several authors. I worked primarily with my thesis advisor, Hong Yun Zhang, who was of, uh, previously with the Cooperative Institute of Great Lakes Research, but now is with Eureka Consulting, um, as well as I have several co-authors from uh, the National Ocean and Atmospheric Administration's Great Lakes Environmental Research Lab, or NOAA GLERL for short. We've worked with uh, um, professors from uh, the University of Michigan, as well as uh, scientists at the Michigan DNR's Institute for Fisheries Research. So it was, it was a large collaborative effort between academic, uh, state, federal, and, and state and federal institutions. In terms of Asian carp research, we actually have another uh, project that we're following up with, uh, or another paper that we're following up this first paper. We're using different scenarios of, uh, that allow us to consider what, how vulnerable will Lake Michigan be uh, under a scenario of climate warming. So if we have a warmer than average winter spring period like that's expected in, uh, uh, with climate change, how does that affect uh, suitability of habitat for big head and silver carp? Uh, we also are able to look at, well, what, what did the lake look like before the mussels got in, which would be 
around in the 1980s and 70s when not only were the muscles not there, but we also had a lot higher uh, amount of nutrients entering the lake. So we had this just generally more productive lake. So we can kind of do a retrospective analysis and kind of see, well, how has habitat suitability changed from then to now? And then also how might it change in the future um, with climate change? Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.